0: Welcome to this activity on real-world evidence for immune thrombocytopenic purpura ITP treatment. I'm David Steensma from the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and Harvard Medical School in Boston, and I'm joined today by Dr. Eileen Weitz.
1: I'm Eileen Weitz. I'm from the University of Southern California.
0: So... Things have changed a little bit in the last few years with respect to uh, how we approach patients with ITP. There have been several new drug uh, approvals. Now that there are several different agents that all have a similar mechanism of uh, TPO agonist activity, um, how can we distinguish between these agents in terms of their activity? Are there differences in how they work?
1: Well, I think that there are distinct differences in where these tipomimetics bind to uh, the TPO receptor and for most patients that's not a big issue for patients for example who have a plastic anemia if they're using this and they may have an immune component of to their thrombocytopenia as well. eltrombopag may have a more selective role than remiplastin. On the other hand, we have a patient right now who had not responded to Eltrombopag and was responding to remiplastin with aplastic anemia. Mm. So go figure. Uh, But ideally, there there are some subtle differences. For the bulk of ITP patients, it probably does not make a difference. And I think that's probably true for Eltrombopag as well. So
0: some of the TPO agonists also have chelation activity and others don't. Does that matter in terms of patient choice or in terms of efficacy of the drug?
1: Well, I'm not sure it matters in terms of efficacy, but um, at very high dose, L-trombopag does cause iron chelation, and whether or not that affects general or global hematopoiesis may be an issue. Mm. And I don't think that's an issue with abotrombopag.
0: Okay. And we've recently learned how um, iron, actually, deficiency causes thrombocytosis. That was a plenary session at the most recent uh, ASH meeting. So um, does that have any influence in terms of the likelihood, this chelation activity of causing thrombocytosis as an adverse event?
1: Well, it, I, would, I wouldn't consider an adverse event in those patients okay. <laughs> because that's sort of what you want. But yes, I mean, that may aid in the response rate. But we know that even if it doesn't cause chelation, like remiplistin does not cause chelation, avotrombopec, and they're very effective agents. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it really makes that big a difference. If you're on super high doses, yes, if you'll turn sort of gray, mm. you know. So your, your blood will be a funny color when they draw it.
0: So, you know, altrombopag and uh, romiplostim have been around for a while now, and uh, we have long-term data with those agents. Um, can you say anything about safety of, of those agents long-term? term now in terms of treating itp I, I don't know how long the longest patient that's been treated is
1: wow, some of those patients have been on treatment boy probably close to seven or eight years or longer mm. and um, they don't seem to have any increase in toxicity with long-term use mm. if they respond they respond um, and they keep responding so uh, if they don't respond to one, then frequently we'll try another and see if they'll respond to that. Sometimes it's a matter of the dosing, and especially with l because because you have to be very careful with taking food with it. It has to be spaced out two to three hours after a meal, two to three hours before a meal, no calcium. That's problematic for the patients. So it takes... Uh, the patient may not be getting the dose you really want them to get, to get the response. Uh, With other agents, with remiplistin, that's not a problem. With avothrombopag, that's not a problem.
0: Okay. Now, um, when a patient responds, do you ever think about taking them off? And if so, how do you decide when to stop therapy if a patient has a favorable response to one of these agents?
1: We do. We try to tailor the dose, one, so that the patient's platelets are between 50 and 100 or 150,000. There's really no reason that they have to have a normal platelet count. Um, and yes, then we would cut the dose in half and see how they respond. And if they respond, then we would um, modulate the dose down. Frequently, what we've done before that is t- is is Taper off their other ITP medications. Mm. So we would do that first before trying to adjust the dose of the thrombolytic. Okay.
0: And with respect to other ITP medications, it seems like compared to 15 years ago, uh, the order of therapies has changed a little bit. You know, it used to be steroids and then splenectomy and then, you know, maybe rituximab and then, you know, one of these TPO agonists would be a last resort. How in your practice do you sequence therapy now in 2019?
1: So I think that the order has changed. Part of that is that people are very reluctant to part with their spleens, and their doctors are very reluctant (laughs) to have them part with their spleens. Not that it doesn't work, but splenectomy comes with a host of other complications. Mm -hmm. So uh, people are trying to do without having to do a splenectomy. So it depends on the group of patients. If I have a young woman uh, in her... You know, who's under 40? Um, I might go with steroids up front and an immune modulator, mm-hmm. especially. You know, there's really there were no controlled trials on using rituximab in these patients, but the group that does the best are these young women. Sure. Um, otherwise, we would probably go with some with steroids and immune modulator, try to get the patient off the corticosteroids because of long-term complications with corticosteroids. And then if there's no response, we would use something like a thrombomimetic up front. Hmm. The big issue is that the original definition of chronic ITP required six months of unresponsive thrombocytopenia. Right. So I think most people, people don't really wait that long anymore and they're much more aggressive in trying to get the platelet count up so that there are less complications.
0: So along those lines, you know, my primary focus clinically and academically has been myelodysplastic syndromes. And, uh, Back over 20 years ago when ASH came out with a guideline set for ITP, they they recommended doing a marrow. I think it was in everyone over 55 or 60 uh, who presented with what looked like ITP um, in order to rule out myelodysplastic syndrome. Is that still necessary, or do you feel like um, things have changed with respect to how we approach ITP and the diagnostic workup?
1: Yeah, I think if there is isolated thrombocytopenia, um, many people would consider deferring the marrow, even if they're around fifty or sixty. But the truth is that ITP ITP is a disease of older people as mm. well, right. and more often older men than it is than you see in women. So um, if they have no other cytopenias. We might defer the marrow, but if they have any other evidence of cytopenias, they really do need to have a bone marrow done okay. at that time.
0: And we had hoped that next-gen sequencing would, would help, that if we found a clonal mutation in the blood, that that would provide strong evidence for MDS. And if we, if we didn't, then more likely an immune mechanism. But now that we've learned about, Clonal hematopoiesis of indeterminate potential. There's a lot of older people who have mutations and they don't have MDS, so it it complicates matters even if you find a right. DNMT3A or TET2 right. mutation. So there, there's been some safety concern about these agents in myelodysplastic syndrome. The um, it's not a labeled indication. The romiplostim trial was stopped early right. by the data monitoring committee. And then more recently, one of the El randomized studies showed uh, a little bit higher rate of progression in the active arm compared to the placebo uh, arm. So, um, you know, in, in my practice, I, we've been cautious about using these agents, although we still do use them for people with heavy platelet transfusion dependence, they become allo-immunized in the the hope that maybe that'll that'll help. Uh, It's a little bit of a different situation, though, in that we don't really know that there's an immune mechanism per se. So I wonder how important it is what the mechanism of the thrombocytopenia is in terms of the activity of these agents.
1: Well, I think it does make a difference. Probably, because you if you have myelodysplasia, you don't have a responsive end organ, mm. so the likelihood of getting a response is somewhat lower mm. and there the original Rammiphistin studies did show there was a sort of global hematopoietic effect and and the risk of developing worsening m d s Existed, Mm -hmm. so we really don't have um, a lot of data to support using it in MDS. Although there are trials, and it some of the trials do show that it decreases the use of uh, platelet transfusions, Mm -hmm. and these patients are so heavily immunized that after a while, that you're really stuck.
0: Yes. Yeah, some, You're really stuck. Sometimes we're willing to accept that small risk of disease progression in right. order to prevent a, a bleeding event or right. you know needing platelets every three days.
1: The trouble is that there's no data on combining that with hypomethylating agents, sure. and maybe that would be a strategy to look at yeah. because it might allow for these patients to become uh, more platelet-independent. Right.
0: Yes, we don't have any randomized data there's some Phase two data right. that looked like maybe there wasn't uh, much disease progression, but we don't we don't know in a, in a randomized fashion right. that's, that's true so uh, along those lines with respect to indications that aren 't exactly ITP, one of the recent approvals was to get the platelet count up to fifty to facilitate a procedure in somebody who had thrombocytopenia, whether it was from ITP or liver disease or, or some other cause. I, I just wonder about your thoughts about, this happens so often in clinical practice where Every the radiologist says, I'm not going <laughs> to biopsy this or I'm not going to put that line in until placement. you get the platelet count up to, to X. And yeah. so I wonder first, first about your thoughts on on those kind of arbitrary thresholds. And then second typo agonist strategy versus just transfusing a patient or some other approach?
1: So, I mean, they are arbitrary cutoffs. Um, when we did the rem- original remiplistin trial, we looked at bleeding risk. Mm-hmm. And the break, the, the, the break point was clearly below 50,000, there was some increased bleeding. Above 50,000, there was no increased bleeding. Okay. However, the true really significant cutoff was actually 30,000. So, and in leukemia treatment, our patients are usually under 30,000 most of the time. So, if they need a procedure, it's really hard to keep them up at 50,000. Right. So, um, but um, we just had a case this week of a patient who's got cirrhosis. Um, who was on a Tipo Mimetic, his platelets were in the 20s to 30s, had to have a pacemaker placed for sick sinus. Mm-hmm. And um, we elected to continue his El Trompepeg and push his dose up. We gave him remiplostin. He still didn't respond. We gave him platelets. They put it in safely, and his platelets were 28,000. Mm. And he didn't have any bleeding. Yes. So, I think, you know, the cutoffs don't always match with the clinical scenario. Right. And some of our our surgical colleagues, like our neurosurgical colleagues want platelets of 100,000, that's not based on anything <laughs> in the literature.
0: Right. Thank you. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> this is an everyday thing. It comes yeah. up, and it's often a debate. And, yeah. you know, for a patient with uh, with leukemia or MDS, where the platelets that they may make may be dysfunctional, that's Correct. a different situation than someone with ITP, where they, they usually work pretty well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think, actually, in this patient that we had this week, I would have been actually eager to use Avatrombopag because it has a faster... Um, platelet recovery, or so Mm. it seems, on day eight. Mm. They seem to have higher levels than with either remiplistin or uh, l trombopec Mm. but whether or not that really pans out. And there are trials in liver disease looking at that. Okay. Yeah.
0: There had been some concern um, early on that long-term use of these agents might result in reactive fibrosis, either in the marrow or elsewhere. Has that been supported by uh, longer term literature? I imagine we only have that with AltraumaPag and remiplastin. Well, we had
1: it with remiplastin, um, and when they looked at that, at the, in the original phase two, the, the top level of remiplastin was 15 mice per kilo. And they Mm -hmm. only saw, Mm -hmm. they really only saw the fibrosis, and I had one of those patients, uh, in the group who were on the higher dose over Mm. 10 mics. That's why they capped the dose at 10 mics. Okay. So that's why. So they may not really, um, I mean, in theory, you might respond at a higher dose, but because of the fibrosis, they didn't want to go there. With l peg they did see originally. some increase in the marrow, but nothing compared to what they saw with the Rhumiplostone.
0: Okay.
1: You know, they have you can have cataracts associated with the Ltrombipeg. Everything you get, there's a trade off for what you get.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. So, there was also phosphomatinib, this sick inhibitor, was recently approved. Where do you think that fits in terms of treatment of patients with thrombocytopenia?
1: I think it does have a role. Um, the, the response rate was not that high, yeah. and the downside was diarrhea. Mm-hmm. That is manageable. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that drug may be useful in other immune diseases and less have less of a role in ITP. Oh, I see. But in refractory patients, it might be worth a try.
0: Yeah, when you say other immune diseases, you mean like rheumatologic conditions where there's some sort Like autoimmune or? hemolytic anemia. Oh, okay. okay.
1: Where there's a higher response rate. Gotcha. So, but um, I think that. Um, if I I I do have one very refractory patient who has a platelet count of usually of under 10,000. Mm-hmm. She gets IVIG intermittently. Mm-hmm. And um but she really doesn't have major bleeding. Mm-hmm. And um that she would be somebody that I would consider trying it in and I I presented it to her mm-hmm. when she's not flying around the world. So, <laughs> yeah. Again our our the way we treat ITP is very different than we did 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, and I think that um, the the role of these thrombomimetic agents has really changed our approach. Um, in some ways, I have to to acknowledge Dave Cooter for being, you know, for bringing it to the fore, to, so that we. Um, to avoid doing splenectomy. Mm -hmm. And I think that although splenectomy works, you know, again, there weren't any controlled trials doing that. Mm It's all historical data.
0: Right.
1: I mean, I grew up in the era where that was a second-line therapy. Yes. So, but I think that uh, it does come with complications, pulmonary hypertension, which was unrecognized, uh, splenic vein thrombosis, uh, portal vein thrombosis, so you know, and the infectious complications, so I think that it's really given us a better option mm. for these patients, and since there doesn't seem to be any long-term adverse effects, mm-hmm. that they can stay on this for years.
0: Yes. And then, if splenectomy didn't work, you were left with a laundry list of yes. things. Where there was a series of three patients who were treated with azathioprine or,
1: or danazole or vincristine or, 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 right. or, or
0: <laughs> all these
1: other things, yeah. and and these drugs do work in patients who were had had a splenectomy. So, and in the original remiflistin right. and eltrombopag trials, they had both arms patients who had not had splenectomy and those that had splenectomy. Okay. So, and both groups had responses, so it didn't really matter. Okay. But, yeah, the longer you have the disease, the less likely the splenectomy is going to work. Sure. So.
0: So has different dosing for East Asian populations. Is the same true of avatrombopeg? I, I don't know.
1: Um, I don't think so. I'd actually like to see that drug used in aplastic anemia Mm. instead of l I think that that might actually, one, because of the fast response. Right. And maybe the fast response is because it's absorbed better. Mm. And so um, I'd sort of like to see that. That's That's something we're actually talking with them about.
0: I mean, the papers from the NIH about aplastic anemia and combining tipo agonist with immunosuppressive therapy have changed how we approach those patients for whom transplants, not the initial treatment. And, you know, the big advantage is a rapid response with trauma bag plus right. uh, ATG-based therapy. So if I have a trauma bag we're even more rapid, that really could be a benefit right. for, for patients.
1: Exactly. But,
0: but um, are are there studies ongoing in plastic? Uh, mm-hmm. Not
1: at the moment, but okay. we've actually been talking with the company about that. Okay. So I think it would there's certainly no reason to suspect it would not work.
0: Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. What? why um L-tromopag was that used in aplastic anemia and not rhomoplastin? Uh,
1: maybe because the some of the original patients were really hadn't responded to anything. Mm. And with remiplastin, you have to come in once a week to get your sure. dose, whereas this is a pill, and you can take it as a pill. And also, it does work differently than remiplastin. So remiplostin binds to the TPO receptor arms, whereas L-trombopeg L- and avatrombopag bind to the intramembrane part mm. of the receptor. And it, the theory being that it's gamma interferon that's binding and suppressing, interfering with the ability of cheapo to bind to the receptor, and that you can kind of skirt around that by giving something that binds to the intramembrane part.
0: Mm. makes sense.
1: So that, that's the theory, <laughs> as I understand it. So that might explain why it's more effective than... Um, then remiflistin in that disease mm. but you know it's aplastic anemia is an immunologic disease and some of these patients have an immunologic thrombocytopenia right. as well right
0: getting back to itp for a minute you know for many years patients would be treated initially with prednisone or prednisolone and then some data came out suggesting short course of dexamethasone for the initial episode was was uh, highly effective. How do you use corticosteroids in patients who've newly been diagnosed with ITP?
1: Well, we like that um, high-dose dexamethasone for four days, three or four cycles every two weeks. Uh, We like that a lot because there are a lot less side effects. Mm -hmm. Granted, they may not be able to sleep for four days, (laughs) but they don't get all the cushionoid features and... Uh, so we like that a lot, uh, but if the patient's platelets drop down again, frequently have to put them on the, in the interim, you may have to add prednisone. But um, I, I like that high-dose dexamethasone regimen. We use that in, in a lot of our immune-mediated disorders.
0: Do you have to consider pneumocystis prophylaxis with the, the dexamethasone pulses or, or not because it's such a short course?
1: Uh, we usually do not, okay, uh, because it is short course. But you're right; it's a great T cell suppressant. Yeah. So, and since a certain, at least a third of patients really have a T cell mediated disease that's causing their ITP, yeah. but um, we, at, as in general, we have not done that.
0: So, uh, Dr. Whites, are there? Data on survival, we we know that these agents have a quite high response rate, that they're very useful as so-called salvage therapy if corticosteroids have not taken care of the problem. Um, But are there actually data that they extend life or, uh, or not?
1: Well, I think that to a certain extent there is. You can stay on these for a really long period of time. And so these patients would either have had bleeding events that would have shortened their overall survival.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for participating in this activity. Hopefully it's been uh, helpful for you in treatment of your patients with ITP and other forms of thrombocytopenia. Dr. Weitz, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks very much.